This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Happy Monday. Welcome. Oh, uh, that's not how I do it anymore. I forgot about that. Let's do it. What about it? I don't, I'm not supposed to say happy Monday. It can't be a happy Monday today. Actually, it it kind of goes with how we were going to introduce the show all about the show I binge watched. Okay, talk about over it. the weekend. Ted Lasso, which yeah. is all about optimism and positivity. So he would definitely say, "Hey guys, happy Monday!" Yeah, you haven't made it to the second season yet. No, don't tell me he becomes <laughs> evil. I actually am at the second season. I just started it. No, he doesn't become evil at all. Actually, Ted Lasso is a perfect feel feel good show that combines you know positivity and just like I don't know. I don't know. It's a show that will get you crying in seconds and laughing the next second. It's, exactly. It's a it's a really beautiful show and um, well done to the cast. I'm a huge fan of it. I've talked about it so much. I'm a big fan too. It's about a uh, small time football coach from America that comes to the UK and everything he that goes down when he has to coach a professional soccer team mm-hmm. in England. Yeah, and it's fabulous. Won a lot of Emmys. So typically, I would say like an award winning show sometimes isn't worth watching. You know, you're That's like. Oh, Oh, it's overrated. I've never Or maybe it's critically acclaimed, but it's not a fan favorite. This one I feel like has gotten support from everyone. And Ryan (laughs) was telling us to watch it forever. Finally, I had a weekend. was able to do it with my boyfriend. He doesn't typically like TV shows. He also loved it, so... Just saying. Well, my thing is I love watching people's reactions of experiencing this show for Mm -hmm. the first time because it's not like anything they expect. And then they're always just like, oh, I see why everyone's obsessed with it. And that's like really fulfilling. It's really cool. So everyone check it out. That's our our must watch for sure. Exactly. Well, we've got a lot coming up on today's show. We're going to be talking about why women's political ambitions decrease with age. That's at 325 p.m. Pacific, 625 p.m. Eastern. Plus breaking news about the R. Kelly case in the T-Report in a moment. First, let's get into some what's trending this hour, though. Speaking to 60 Minutes, Representative Liz Cheney on Sunday said she was wrong to have opposed same-sex marriage. That same time, uh, her father actually voted for it. I was wrong. Um, I was wrong. Uh, I love my sister very much. Uh, I uh, uh, love uh, her family very much. Uh, and, uh, and, and I was wrong. You know, I'm so conflicted by her. Um, because we've obviously obviously saw her. She was one that really spoke up against Trump um, in the Republican Party. And, you know, I praise her for that. Um, but this moment right here, 
I'm happy she had some sort of a change of heart, but back in February, she actually voted no in a House vote on the Equality Act, which is a landmark piece of legislation that would enshrine and expand rights for LGBTQ people. So my thing is, in one breath, she says she was wrong, and the next breath, she's still voting no on really big pieces of legislation that could really affect us and improve our lives. And so for me, that clip means nothing. She has a, a lot more work and growth to be done right now to, yeah, uh, align with what she's saying. That is for sure. Now, President Joe Biden received a COVID-19 booster shot today at the White House, just days after the CDC recommended a third shot of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine for certain at-risk groups. In a brief speech at the White House ahead of getting his third dose, he said boosters are important, but the most important thing we need to do is to get more people vaccinated. Uh, The roughly 23% of Americans who have not received a single shot are, quote, causing an awful lot of damage for the rest of the country. And finally, Biden's vaccine mandate for workers is uh, supported by legal precedents. So in September, Biden announced a plan to require all private businesses with 100 or more employees to ensure that their workers are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. We remember that. Um, Or get tested weekly. Well, experts have predicted legal challenges, but they say that the government has the authority to protect worker safety by requiring vaccinations. So it's supported. That was What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right, there's finally a verdict to the infamous R. Kelly trial. It's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So R. Kelly was found guilty Monday of sexually abusing women, boys, and girls for decades. By the way, trigger warning. So sorry I didn't start that with a trigger warning. Just for anyone listening. Um, he was a convicted of all nine counts, including racketeering and violations of the Man Act, which prohibits the transport of any woman or girl across state lines for any immoral purpose. He faces 10 years to life in prison. He's 54, by the way. Uh, the jury of seven men and five women deliberated for about nine hours across two days before reaching their infamous verdict. Um, to prove the racketeering charge against him, prosecutors showed jurors how Kelly used a network of friends and employees in his inner circle to transport his victims across state lines, control their actions, and facilitate the sexual abuse. Lock his ass up. Very happy that we're getting rid of R. Kelly. Please remove him from all your playlists on Spotify. Thank you. That's your tea report. I have more coming up next hour. Okay, well, next up, why this week is critical for Congress or there could be a government shutdown. We get into it next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, this is a critical week for Congress as we approach a decision on Biden's $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill and the debt ceiling that could lead to a government shutdown if they can't come to an agreement. Back with us is Fox News contributor Richard Fowler. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. How are y'all? I mean, we're good. Good. But it feels uh, like there's a lot of stuff happening in Washington right now, and it could lead to a bit of a mess or a big mess. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, I think there's three critical things moving in Washington right now. There is this this pending defaulting of the United States credit, um, which is the debt ceiling, which we raise every couple of months because we continue to spend beyond our debt limit. Um, So that's thing one. I think thing two is the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which is up for a vote in the House that should happen either today or tomorrow. And the third thing is the 3.5 or some number, because that's still sort of floating, um, $3.5 trillion framework for budget reconciliation, which is, you know, which will be 
the determiner of will the Congress figure out a way to deal with infrastructure or human infrastructure, um, which is what Democrats want. And so that will all have to try to happen or be hammered out this week. And we're going to have to wait to see how exactly it's hammered out. Wow. Um, there's just, I guess there's just so much there. I just wonder if Congress fails to kind of raise the de- debt ceiling this time, what happens to us? Like, what happens to the U.S.? Well, if Congress fails to raise the debt ceiling, immediately what will happen is America's credit rating will be devalued um, in, uh, in, in on Wall Street and amongst those folks who buy American bonds, right? So right now we have, I believe we have a AAA bond rating. Our, that bond rating will go down, which will have an immediate impact on the market. Um, both, you know, the Dow Jones and New York Stock Exchange, so you'll see a tick down in stock prices. Um, and it could also have a, a, a pro, it could also have a, an adverse impact on the value of the United States dollar around the world. We'll have to wait to see what happens. Uh, at this point in time, the Republicans have been pretty clear in indicating that they will not assist Democrats in getting the votes necessary to raise the debt ceiling. The reason why that's problematic, Ryan, is because Republicans help run up the debt, right? <laughs> I mean, whether it was. I mean, they're going to say, well, they didn't help run up the debt this year, but last year um, for, from the various, you know, COVID relief bills that were passed, those bills had Republican votes, right? Trump's tax plan had a Republican vote. Republicans oftentimes try to operate as if, you know, this country lives in a vacuum, that when Republicans aren't in office or when the Republicans aren't running the White House, that the spending isn't happening. And when Republicans are running the White House, that spending doesn't matter. But the truth of the matter is, our government and the United States isn't in a vacuum. Every presidency operates on the presidency that happened before that. Yeah. So Trump spending is on this credit card. And so we all have an obligation to pay off this debt. Yeah. I mean, the reality is both parties spend money. Let's be clear. What's worrisome is this op-ed that came out, Democrats' representative Pramila Jayapal, Elon Omar, Katie Porter say they remain committed to voting for the infrastructure bill only after the Build Back Better Act is passed. Is this going to just work against the Democrats? Because, like, they're expecting everything to be passed at once when we obviously have certain things we need to focus on right now. Well, this is the problem that Speaker Pelosi faces in the next couple of days. There are there has been a group of Republic of Democrats that have been pretty clear in saying that they will not vote for the bipartisan infrastructure bill until they get human infrastructure or the three point five trillion dollar bill, which will have trouble passing the United States Senate because we'll have to pass along party lines. And there are two two Democrats, um, Kristen Cinema and, and and Joe Manchin, that have been adamantly against a $3.5 trillion price tag. So if Democrats do balk, um, and there's more than four or five of them that say they won't vote for infrastructure, um, this could mean an end to what was a bipartisan infrastructure bill, unless there is some Republicans that are willing to cross party lines to help Democrats get it across, get it over the finish line. And I think the really interesting thing here, Dr. Anthony Fauci really spoke out against the government going on a shutdown, especially in the middle of a pandemic. And it just feels like, is there ever going to be a time where we, as a government, we see like 
Oh, could shutdowns just like kind of go away in general? Because it does seem like if they shut down, nothing is getting done. Everyone is just kind of being hurt. The American people are being hurt at the end of the day. And I just, I guess I never really realized shutdowns were so impactful to so many people around when the government just stops. Oh, yes. I mean, that's the thing, Ryan, is that people don't really understand the impact of a shutdown, but a shutdown has real implications. The shutdown Depending upon how the shutdown is done and how the rules are written around the shutdown, the shutdown could include closing everything from the Social Security office, which prints out uh, Social Security checks and benefit checks, to stopping the folks who, uh, you know, for, you know that the, the folks who, you know, inspect meat. So this has real lasting implications to what is done for the American people on a regular basis. So what's the chance of a shutdown? Is it going to be happening? And into the holidays. I mean, this is where it gets worrisome as well. Uh, It's really hard to tell. I mean, the prayer is is that Democrats and Republicans will come together to get something done. But we're going to just have to wait and see. And we're going to just have to put our hopes once again that Speaker Pelosi can carve out a deal um, with her caucus and get them to make some movement in the right direction. All right. Well, Richard Fowler, thanks as always for breaking it down for us. We appreciate it. You're welcome. You can check out Richard Fowler, of course, on Fox News Channel. Coming up, could a COVID-19 vaccine be behind us? The pill that could treat COVID next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? Nerd Wallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Virals are already essential treatments for other viral infections, including hepatitis C and HIV. But could they be used for COVID? Dr. Imesh Adalja is back with us, senior scholar at Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. Thanks again for being with us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Now, how would a pill work for COVID and would it essentially replace the vaccine? It definitely would not replace the vaccine. Anytime you're talking about an infectious disease, prevention is much better than treatment. You don't want to be infected. You don't want to be in the position where you need to take a pill. You want to be vaccinated so you don't ever get into that situation. But the pill would work when somebody maybe has symptoms, that they take a, take a pill similar to what we do with influenza and Tamiflu, and that pill would then 
decrease contagiousness, decrease symptoms, decrease complications, get you back on your feet quicker, and, and hopefully prevent any of the bad stuff from happening. But you know, that, that's, that's a hard lift for the pills, and I think that there are a couple of them in clinical trials that are looking good, but we'll see. Yeah, and the interesting thing about clinical trials for me is always kind of how it works. Um, there was one being reported at on CNN talking about, you know, a couple actually received, uh, you know, um, either an app active medication or placebo and they were taking about four pills twice a day and then they were saying that their symptoms were better within two weeks and they had been basically recovered i always wondered if they're getting the like placebo in that moment are they actually really healed if they're just automatically kind of thinking because they're like oh my body thinks the medicine is working but really it's a placebo how does that work when it comes to trials i guess I mean, that's the whole reason why we use a placebo group, because some people do get better because they think they're going to get better and they think that what they're taking makes them better. And you're talking about a disease where most people do get better. Most of these outpatient COVID cases will get better over time. So you have to have this kind of done in a rigorous manner where you have a placebo and you have a treatment arm and you really compare to make sure, did they just get better because they thought they got because they were getting because it's a placebo effect or did they just get better because that was the course of the disease? So that's why you kind of compare people at different time points, like at 48 hours. What is their symptom score at 72 hours? All of that. And then you look and see, was there a statistically significant difference between the placebo group and the people who actually got the treatment? And that, that's how randomized controlled trials work. And that, you know, that's why we wanted them early on for things like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, just because it, it, there's so much confounding and placebo effect that occurs if you don't do a trial in a rigorous manner. And then you basically end up not knowing if it actually worked or it was a placebo effect. Definitely. So I guess when is this going to be approved? When could it be brought to market? Several months from now, I think we're talking about uh, clinical trials that have to go on for some time in phase three. That has to all get published. That data has to go to the FDA, and then the FDA will will evaluate it. So I would say several months before we start to see any of these oral antivirals really hitting um, hitting the marketplace. Yeah. Very interesting. Does the medical community, including yourself, since you are an expert in this, ever encourage these types of things plus other solutions that don't include over-the-counter drugs to keep people um, safe and their immune system healthy? Not particularly. We know that, you know, being healthy in general and having a proper diet where you have a lot of the normal vitamins in them, including vitamin D, which is important against protection against respiratory viruses, we do recommend that. And if you do get ill, oftentimes we recommend people take over-the-counter ibuprofen, Advil, the equivalent of those, the NyQuil, DayQuil type of things to decrease your symptoms. Uh, that we that we recommend. But obviously, they wouldn't be a substitute if there was an actual antiviral pill. That would be a game changer. How would this distribution process work? What are you thinking? It, it, it would just be the same as we do right now. With, with If you get influenza, you call your doctor, you get a telemedicine prescription, you can get you can get Tamiflu. I think that there would be something similar to that. It would be really driven by a test being positive and then getting linked to getting a prescription linked to you. And I think because it's an oral pill, it's very easy to get that sent to someone's house. We have pharmacies that deliver that deliver uh, medications by, by by mail. There's lots of different ways you could do it, but it would just be almost like what you would see with with flu or any other any other uh, type of prescription that you need. It just would be you get a test and then you've got to get the pills to those people pretty quickly. And I think we've got an apparatus to be able to do that pretty fast if that was the case. Do you think there would be like similar hesitation, kind of like the vaccine hesitation? Or do you think people would be more willing to take a pill? Well, when people are sick, it changes their calculation. So vaccine, they're healthy. So they think, why do I need this? But when they're Mm -hmm. sick and they have cough and body aches, they don't feel well. So their kind of defenses are lower. They're They're more likely to... 
change their risk calculation and say, yes, I don't feel good. I need something. There have been people on their deathbeds on the news talking about, we still don't want the vaccine. It's been too late. You know, it's really unfortunate. Yeah, Dr. Amash, I just wonder, because I know the narrative, it's been so difficult, whether it be for COVID or even the flu with folks that are just more into the holistic stuff. I feel like if at least the medical community were encouraging these types of things, which are are more of a quick solution, plus these other things as preventatives, maybe it would it would help bridge the gap. Well, I think that the medicine community wants to recommend things that actually have evidence behind them. And most of that holistic type of stuff does not have evidence behind it. Mm. So we don't recommend things that there's no proof that it actually works. I might tell people, oh, it might not harm you, but it's probably a waste of money. And if it keeps you, if it delays care because you think you're waiting for this, this herb to kick in uh, before you go see your doctor, that could be bad. So doctors should be sticking to evidence-based medicine. And if there's no evidence for something, even if it's a holistic type of thing, they shouldn't be recommending it. I think, you know, that's why I would say vitamin D is probably the only thing there actually is evidence for when it comes to respiratory viruses. And I would not recommend any of the other uh, kind of herbal supplement type of medicines. There is, there is evidence for drugs like Tylenol and Advil and NyQuil and DayQuil and decreasing symptoms, and I do recommend those. All right. Well, you said it. Dr. Amach Adalja is a senior scholar, Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. Thanks again for being with us. Thank you. Next up, what happened when this contractor couldn't get his final payment? It's definitely a solution if you want to ruin it all. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, so a Colorado contractor used a sledgehammer to smash the walls of a bathroom he had just finished renovating after supposedly this customer withheld their final payment because she wasn't satisfied with the renovation. And it was all captured on camera, by the way. Here's a moment. We put weeks into this, thousands of dollars into this. I do understand. Sir, please stop. Please stop. Did somebody going to pay me? Sir, I'm just asking you to stop. It's not your house to destroy. Okay. This, this is, is like problem. really loud and hurting this my ears. Oh. But you get the point. It was like a $7,000 renovation. She had paid, you know, you pay up front usually half of that. They still owed around $4,000. Here's the thing. Off the bat, I would definitely typically uh, support the contractor because you put up all the money for this. But this guy, what this guy did was inappropriate because they were supposed to do an inspection. And if you look at the pictures, they're just like, there's all this stuff that's messed up. It wasn't a good job. And so he really should have fixed it, right? Uh, And so, yeah, would you pay for a service? I guess this is the question, if you weren't satisfied with it. And what would you do if this happened to you? Um, you know, being a contractor myself, a freelance contractor, you know, sometimes it is, it gets really frustrating to have to chase after your money. Yeah. You know, when people are dodging and people ain't doing it right. And, and I can only imagine like they're going out of their pocket to one, make sure these like renovations. See, I don't know how the contracting world works. I would assume they're going out of their pocket to make the renovations. You do. You pay for everything up front. They're like getting repaid through their, their fee. And then of course, everything else that goes into this. And so. I don't know. This guy has anger issues, and I would really <laughs> advise to. him to go to therapy um, because maybe this was just the last person. It wasn't even meant for them. It was just he's been probably trying to face his money, find his money the entire time. No excuse, though. Um, now he's going to get himself into a bigger hole. <laughs> yeah. Because guess what? They have videotape like footage of you destroying their property. 
I mean, this guy, uh, he thought he was going to lose, I guess, $4,000 for the money he hadn't been paid. I mean, if he had put $500 more into it or 1000 like, just redone it, now he's going to, yeah, he's going to get sued. Yeah. And he's probably not going to get hired by anyone else. Right. So I who's, mean, who's losing now? Yeah, that's like the that's like the worst. Like I'm I've never gotten I'm never getting like that angry over anything. But it's just like what is? Yeah, I don't know. At that point, you have to tell yourself like there's something bigger going on with this person. And in their I life. wonder, is he like a legit contractor? Or is he like somebody's cousin down the street that was like recommended? Maybe who could just like who has a who happens to have a sledgehammer and you know nails and he thinks he can like do everything. You know, I once uh, got into a car accident and the person I got into a car accident with said their their dad had a shop, so I felt so bad. Like I didn't want to go to insurance, so I brought it to their shop. And they like used fake parts for my BMW, and then I had to redo everything else, and I had to pay them cash. Like I was, I got, I got stuck in a scam. They didn't even do a good job. I don't want to rub this in, but that's like the third time that you've either almost had a scam happen to you, or you have been scammed. We have to really reevaluate some things. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh well, what would you do in this scenario at LGT shows where you can slide into our DMs on social media? Coming up, police departments across the U.S. are mandating LGBTQ training. What that could look like next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back and we've got lots coming up on the show, including why women lose political ambition as they age and what's being done to stop that from happening. Plus, Anderson Cooper is speaking up about his son's inheritance. This seems to be a, a go-to conversation for the rich right now. That's in the tea in a moment. First, let's get into some what's trending this hour. There have been many incidents over the years where LGBTQ individuals said members of the law enforcement made disparaging remarks about their sexual orientation or gender identity. That's according to many news reports, lawsuits, and academic studies. These incidents, along with historically negative relationship between law enforcement and the LGBTQ community, have now led a growing number of police departments across the country to introduce LGBTQ awareness and cultural competency training for their officers. Uh, From Washington, D.C. to Palo Alto, California, departments are now crafting programs that take into consideration their specific communities. No acting U.S. attorney for Eastern District of New York, Jacqueline Kasula, spoke after R. Kelly's guilty verdict in a sex trafficking case. In rendering its verdict today, the jury delivered a powerful message to men like R. Kelly. No matter how long it takes... The long arm of the law will catch up with you. Yeah, that was a big deal today as R. Kelly was found guilty of uh, sex trafficking. And according to his lawyers, he was surprised about this. (laughs) I mean. That's funny. Moving on, Adam Mazzari, the head of Instagram, said today that the company has paused development of a version of the photo-sharing app for children. Missouri spoke to the Today Show's Craig Melvin and said he still believes in the core idea of the new app, but he added, we want to take the time to talk to parents and researchers and safety experts and get to more consensus about how to move forward. If anybody leaves using Instagram feeling worse about themselves, that's an important issue we need to take seriously and that we need to figure out how to address. Really? I don't think it's just kids dealing with that. I mean, if anybody, Ryan, when's the last time you left Instagram feeling worse about yourself? 
No, um, I don't think you do. No, I don't. I don't. Vanessa, producer Vanessa, do you ever feel bad about yourself after going on Instagram? Yeah, I don't know. I feel sometimes bad about more the time I spend when I could be just like being more present in my life sometimes. That makes me feel bad. Thank you for sharing. That was what's trending this hour. <laughs> what's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay. All right. So Anderson Cooper. It's just adding my take. Just saying. <laughs> Oh, it's always a, a, a Monday therapy show. Um, anyway, Anderson Cooper, he basically is like uh, going to follow the trend of his mom. It's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. He revealed that he does not plan to leave his wealth to his son, Wyatt. Um, he actually only inherited um, less than $1.5 million from his mom, who is Gloria Vanderbilt, if you did not know that, estate. Now, he said this. He said, I don't believe in passing on huge amounts of money. Uh, he says, I don't know what I'll have. I'm not in, uh, not that interested in money, but I don't intend to have some sort of pot of gold for my son. I'll do with what my parents said. College will be paid for, paid for and then you got to get on it. Okay. I know why. I think I, I figured out why the like rich parents are doing this. Why? I think it is because, one... Yes, you're not inherently giving your kids, like, money. Like, you're not leaving them money. But they still are going to have the resources to be able to get into whatever job field that they really want. And to be able to look at where it's, like, where most people start not even on first base. They're still starting at third or fourth base. Let's be honest, if you want to put a sports reference out there. Yeah. I mean, but still, even after... Going to college, I mean, we've seen the in, in their connections. Yes, maybe they'll get. They always do. Get they by, have one that but doesn't. doesn't mean they'll have enough. Like with the way contractor work and full time work, will they have enough money to put down for a, a house or? They won't maybe, need to because there's always they're always going to have the the inheritance of their their parents' status. Or why not say like, I'll give you the money, but you a, need a to tech. give it back. Right, give it to charity. You get to choose the charity. I don't know. There's ways no, to do it. I, and I also think that because white people navigate this world differently, they always ha- are kind of like, unfortunately, our system is set up for every like non-person of color to have like a step up in this space. And mm-hmm. so, you, when you don't worry about your child having the same opportunities, you're like, oh yeah, my child's going to be able to have the opportunities. They just got to work for it. Of course they do, but because they don't even realize that even if they work for it, there's still a possibility that they, they can't get it because they already have everything they need. I don't know. It doesn't account for health issues, things that happen in life. But that's just me. Yeah. It's weird. What, just Anderson Cooper's going to spend a ton of money right now? Just to he, like He's worth $200 million. Well, that's because he got it. How did he get Just from CNN? Yeah, girl. Okay. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah. So, sugar daddy. Does he even date anyone? Okay, coming up, girls are being socialized to lose political ambitions. So is there any way to make sure this doesn't happen? We get into it next. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. 
Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house and owning it. Having an advocate who can help you navigate negotiations, timelines, inspections, and more can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. New research shows that girls are being socialized early in life to believe they don't belong in politics. And one of the researchers behind this joins us now. Uh, thank you so much, Miria Holman, for joining us today. It's great to be here. Now, Miria is an associate professor of political science at Tulane University. This study is so fascinating. Tell us more about how you went about doing this and how drawings were involved. <laughs> yes, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, so uh, we, uh, the team of researchers and I, there's five of us, and uh, we ended up surveying and interviewing about 1,600 children uh, from first through fifth grade, uh, so as young as six years old and up to 11 and 12-year-olds. And uh, one of the things that we did to get the students in, engaged in the process, but then also to collect some data from them, is we asked them to think about what they imagine a political leader looks like, and then draw us a picture of those, those political leaders. So we have all of these drawings that uh, these children did of what they think about when they think about what a political leader looks like. Wow, that's so interesting, because I guess you always wonder, do our little kids, really, our kids in general, are they interested in politics in the way? Because it, I remember being a kid, and I was just like, that was the furthest thing on my mind. And I also, I thought it was kind of like, I don't understand it. There's no place for me as just like a queer person of color to be able to, to get it. So what were some of kind of like the surprising things that you found about this? So one of the things that we found that we were surprised by is how much kids actually are sort of absorbing from their world about politics. So we have this assumption that you sort of, that you remember because kids, particularly younger kids, just like not even gonna know what politics is or think about it but the reality is that kids are you know these little sponges and they're really absorbing all this information from their environment and they do know what a political leader is they know important information about the political system they can tell you who the president is and they can tell you attitudes about the president and whether they like the president or not. Uh, And so one of the things that we were really surprised by is just how much knowledge kids have about the political system and how early on they're forming impressions about the political system. Yeah, you also said the children were given open-ended prompts to describe what the political leader is doing in their drawings, what words describe them, and what such a leader does on a typical day. Older girls in particular were more likely to draw people with masculine traits. So why... Is it, yep. according to what you discovered, that the older uh, you know a girl gets, and we could talk about, obviously, gender is fluid, and I feel like the, the younger generation, yep. it's non-binary, but why do you think as they get older, they don't include themselves in this discussion, or, they, or girls lose political ambition? So one of the things that we theorize is that uh, 
we know that generally kids during this age range are looking at the world and they're they're starting to understand their gender in context that they see out in the world. And so they might see that, oh, okay, a lot of women are my elementary school teachers. And so they learn, okay, uh, there's an association between uh, being a woman and being in this job where you care for other people and you teach other people. Oh, and then they are also learning about politics at the same time, and they're learning who has held political office before in the United States, and a lot about our history and these major events in our history. And as they're doing that, they're learning, oh, actually, uh, men have held all of these important positions in our political history, and we've never had a woman that's president, and... It seems like this is a job that a lot of men have and they have military experience or they act like they're very tough. They have these masculine characteristics. And so we, we argue that kids are learning about gender as, at the same time that they're learning about politics. And then doing so, girls start to learn that politics is not a place where they belong or people like the, them belong. And so... They start to think about politics as this masculine realm where they have trouble figuring out the ways that they would fit into it. Yeah. So what are the like potential solutions here? Like, how do we, we mm-hmm. change that and, and change this, you know, research? That's a great question. <laughs> and uh, one where I wish that there was an easy answer, but uh, it, it, it seems like it's much more complicated, right? You can't just say, like, well, one day of our lesson about politics, we're going to talk about women in politics. Uh, because if you take this approach that a, that a lot of social science education takes of this historical political approach where you go through these major events in American history and you tell this sort of standard view of American history, you're going to just be talking uh, about men and particularly you're going to be talking about white men. And... So we have to think about how we are teaching our children about the political system in a way that both recognizes there are these important events that have happened, but it's not just these straight white guys that participated in politics. We just only think about them because uh, straight white guys have written most of our history <laughs> to this yeah. point. Uh, so it's sort of, you know, thinking about contextualizing our important components of our political system and our important events in politics as not just something where this sort of normal characters participate, but instead thinking about ways that we could describe these important events as, as being a place where more people participated than that. Another sort of big of thing is... It's not just convincing girls that girls belong in politics, but also convincing boys that girls belong in politics, right? So in opening everybody's mind up to the idea that the political realm is something that's available to a broader set of individuals. It reminds me of uh, that documentary on uh, on Apple 
TV. It's like boy state, but you see how boys like yeah. navigate politically. I oh. want to see a girl mm-hmm. state. I know there's programs like it where mm-hmm. and yep. see the yep. difference because it's so powerful to see in the, in those moments. Well, uh, Miria Holman, thank you so much for joining us and sharing all your research. It was a delight. <laughs> Miria, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Miria is an associate professor of political science at Tulane University. Coming up next, uh, so you're on a text with someone but want to end it. How do you do that without being rude? Well, we're here to help. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Has this ever happened to you? You're texting back and forth with someone and you just want to end the conversation. How do you go about doing it without being rude? What's the definition of rude here? (laughs) You know, that's, that's actually a good question because... Some people are more sensitive than others, and some people might think like, "Oh, get get Rude it." Rude is and subjective. Some are not. Rude is really <laughs> subjective. Without being, I, oh, I think uh, that's true. I guess kindness, you know, without doing it in a a kind manner or kind, compassionate kind manner. Kind is subjective. Seriously, because one person could be thinking they are kind with doing what's best for them. That's true. And the other person would be like, that's the most unkind thing I've ever heard of. I guess we're just going to end up in a, in a loop right now. No, I'm just saying it's subjective. It's really that that's why, I'm you know, conversations like these, it's really interesting and telling about like how people react to certain things or like what like me respond, not responding to a text message. If I just don't want to talk is not rude to me. Well, here's the thing. Well, let's get to that. This is about a conversation you're already having. So I do think if you're in a back and forth that's like a flow, and then suddenly someone stops. I mean, they could be doing something. I mean, let's be be real life. (laughs) Uh, But I do feel like if there's that back and forth thing happening, typically what I'll do is either it just comes to an end, like it's obvious that you're trailing off, right? Right. And you feel like you don't need to continue. Or I, I will say something like, great chatting, let's connect again soon, or I'm going into something, but it was great to connect, you know, let's continue this another time, something like that. I'm not saying stuff like that. I'm just, like, (laughs) not responding. You're not going to communicate? No. I mean, if I don't have anything else to say, I think that's why if you have an iPhone, sorry if you have a Samsung, it's 2021, get out of that. Um, If you have an Apple... You know, you can just re- do a reaction thing. So you can react to with it a heart or a ha ha. Yeah. And then that's the that's the period. That's a good everything. way. That's all. That's how I've always done it. Because True. for me, I'm not going to, especially if the person I'm texting is not like they didn't give me really anything to respond to. It's like, there you go. You wanted the conversation to be over. And, and if you want to react to my reaction to have something else to say or start another conversation, the ball is now in your part. Uh, that is a good tip actually the reaction the emoji reaction is pretty much a way to end it yeah right just stop answering with words or sentences just send an emoji once again it sucks to be you if you have a a Samsung (laughs) or I mean they could send emojis they just can't react with it yeah that's what I'm saying the reacting is like what's the point sometimes if you just stop asking questions you're just answering versus continuing the conversation Oh, yeah. there, there's been some guys that have done that to me, and I knew what they were doing. Well, my thing is, I've gotten to the space now where I'm not talking to anyone who doesn't seem like they don't want to talk to me. And so, if I'm putting more effort in our conversation, then... Wait a second. That's it. Ryan. What? How many times have I texted you? have texted me you? about nothing, and I'll just be like, what am I supposed to say No, this? but... 
Well, then you say that. You don't even. Or, or I I'll say, respond. Or, or there's been times where I'm like, I know you're doing something important. I'll say, oh, I'm really excited for you. Great job. How'd it go? And then there'll be nothing. But, Crickets. You know how many other texts I have oh. also gotten that I don't <laughs> respond to? Now, I'm being really serious. Every, if Mr. You know, Popular No, no, no. Here. It's not even that. If you know me, if you are friends with me, Everyone knows to say, Ryan is an awful texter. If you want to talk to Ryan, call him or FaceTime me. That is the way to talk to me. Because for me, even my mom has told my grandmother this. Like, my mom knows that I'm not responding to text messages. I just don't like it. Sometimes I get anxiety around them. Oh, um, okay. And so I'm, it, can I'm just be, it can just be a lot. And so I'm like, if you really want to talk to me, just call me. Pick up well, the phone and call me. Wait, you get less anxiety around a FaceTime or a call? Sometimes for me... I'm well, I can talk to people space. face to face. I'm just not in the space to, for something longer. I just want to give you a, a high heads up that I'm thinking about you, Colin. No, day. that you could literally do that in the Facebook. You know how many Facebooks I FaceTime you. FaceTime. Yeah, I know you're not on Facebook. Yeah, thank you. Oh my God. I, you know how many FaceTimes I've had where they are just like either seven hours long or oh. they're just like. 10 minutes long. Or 10 seconds. Or 10 seconds. Yeah, like, it's like, it really, it, it really doesn't matter. If you're calling just to say something short and sweet, cool, at least you like that. But that is genuinely, because sometimes I can just answer from my computer. And it's like, I don't have to pick up my phone, right? I don't know. It just takes away the anxiety. But I am an awful texter. And I, you know, that's something I'm not going to budge on. Oh. Because I'm just not good at it. I don't like doing it. Hey, if you don't like it, then that's the thing. Yeah. And I think something is so that, that's more intimate as we wrap this up is like talking on the phone. It's a lost cause. Bring I it love back. It. I love doing it. I'm down for that. Sometimes I just I want to say a quick hi and, and, and then, a heart okay, emoji. Okay, then just. But I I agree. Now now I know I will be hitting you up face to face. I'm just saying you know this. Like we don't do You've it enough me here for a long time at this point. I'm always learning. <laughs> You're like an onion. So next up, would you give up millions of dollars to marry someone you love? The story that's out of a romance film. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So it seems like it's part of a fairy tale or some sort of movie is actually happening in real life to this princess. Japan's Princess Mako is set to give up her title and $1.35 million to marry her commoner lover. I don't like that word, commoner, just sounds That was according to a headline, by the way. A A regular person, someone that's not in the royal family in Japan. if you live in Harry Potter world. Yes. So they met... When they were younger, in uh, 2017, they announced their engagement. So it seems like they've been together for a long time. They're college sweethearts and actually went to college in New York at Fordham Law School. And they had a big decision to make whether, I mean, she did, whether she was going to move forward and marry, I guess, someone that her family wanted her to marry or marry someone that she was actually in love with. And she's going with true love. It matters. Well, here's the thing. She's actually not the first princess to do this. Her aunt back in 2005 did the same thing um, to do the same thing. Marry what they're calling a commoner. Um, It's really interesting for me, you know. Mm, you know, I ain't giving up $1.3 million Come on. for no man. And I maybe really? this is. Why would I? Have you heard of men lately? I think that if you meet someone that is special that you've been with for a long time that has proved themselves to to you, and they'll probably bring you, including if they're a lawyer, okay, <laughs> bring you that and much more. Oh, because really? you can't. No money. What can't if buy he? Love. What if he? What if you end up marrying him, 
and he ends up like cheating on you or doing all these awful. He's just an awful like person. They and you don't together. find that until and she done lost person. out a bag. She done lost out a, a $1.35 million um, because she wants to follow. I, you know, I think it works for some people, but also, this ain't Cinderella. You ain't getting that perfect pumpkin and glass slipper. Here's the thing. There are a lot of people that are married to really rich people that have very unhappy lives. She's like getting rid of her title. She ain't going to be rich no more. She's going to be a commoner too. Yeah, but like regret that the fact that they they were just focused on the money. So it's like... You also got to be smart. You could also, by the way... That sounds like a bad investment. I think that they obviously have... uh, uh, like they're in optimism love. in themselves and they feel like they have enough to make it without that 1.35 1.35 isn't that much when it comes in the grand scheme of things to be honest like true including in living in new york true so i i think that you know definitely money is the reason for a lot of divorces and disagreements between couples like it is an issue so to act like it, it doesn't mean anything when you're in a relationship is dumb or is ignorant. Wait, they don't live in New York now. They're planning yeah, on they're, living yeah. in the U.S. Yeah, they're planning on living in the U.S. So hopefully they, they'll live somewhere that's uh, a, a smaller town than New York or a, another neighborhood that isn't as expensive. I don't know. I just, I'm hoping, I'm sending all the good vibes to their relationship. Um, but you will not catch me ever giving up. I don't know. For no man. I, not for no human. That's because you haven't found love yet. I've been in love. I know, but you've been in young love. I think that your next don't 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 dismiss any type of level of love that I've had. It's all valuable and valid. Of course, it's all lessons. I think the love that will be the partner of your life. I think that you'll see that you'll find together as a partnership, you'll figure it out and make it work because your love stands the test of time. That's where I'll leave you with. And she also don't have one point three five million dollars either. (laughs) <laughs> can't buy me love like the, that song I don't know what would you do would you give it all up for love at LGT shows where you can find us on social media maybe but coming up it's National Gay Men's HIV AIDS Awareness Day and one organization is committing millions of dollars to the cause we'll tell you who next let's go there with Shira and Ryan channel Q got lots coming up including Will Smith is opening up about his open relationship with Jada we've got the tea in a moment with Ryan I'm excited for that first let's get into some what's trending this hour today September 27th marks National Gay Men's HIV AIDS Awareness Day and uh, according to Dimitri Daskalakis, who's a, a gay doctor and activist who leads HIV prevention efforts at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, said this on HIV.gov. Each year on this day, we direct attention to the continuing and disproportionate impact of HIV on the community. The disruption of traditional HIV testing services over the last 19 months has made self-testing a great option for some people to take an HIV test, learn their status, and get the benefits of today's prevention and treatment tools. So for more info, for any support you need, HIV.gov. Also, the HRC announced that they are honoring those lost during the HIV AIDS epidemic by uh, joining with Gilead and committing more than $3 million in the fight to end HIV. So that is some great news today as well. Now, in case you missed it, Governor Greg Abbott said images of Border Patrol agents on horses using what appears to be whips on Haitian migrants was actually false. He then promised this. In rendering its verdict today, the jury delivered 
That's the wrong clip. My bad. One moment, please. The governor one, huh? Yeah, it's Governor Greg Abbott. Oh, God. Is what the, the president said uh, going after the Border Patrol who were uh, risking their lives and working so hard to try to secure the border. If he takes any action against them whatsoever, I have worked side by side with those Border Patrol agents. I want them to know something. If they are at risk of losing their job, got a president who is abandoning his duty to secure the border, you have a job in the state of Texas. I will hire you to help Texas secure our border. Okay, well, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas announced that the horses are now banned from being used by Border Patrol agents in response to all of this. And finally, same-sex couples in Switzerland have won the right to marry after voters overwhelmingly backed its legalization in a referendum. The vote was brought on by conservative politicians who opposed gay marriage. Now that it's been voted on, it could take months before marriages could take place, though, mainly because of the country's administrative and legislative procedures. But that's some great news for Switzerland. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Yeah, Will Smith is addressing the long-standing rumors that he and his wife, Jada, have an open relationship or open marriage. It's time for the Tea Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So he just did an amazing um, GQ cover story um, where he admits that their relationship began with monogamy but then evolved. Saying this, Jada never believed in conventional marriage. Jada had family members that had an basically an unconventional relationship. So she grew up in that way that was very different than how I grew up. Um, he also went on to say there was a significant endless discussions about what is the relational perfection. Um, and for the large part of our relationship, monogamy was what we chose, not thinking of monogamy as the only Um, He also said he doesn't suggest a road for anybody. I don't suggest this road for anybody. But the experience is that the freedoms that we've given one another and the unconditional support to me is the highest definition of love. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the rumors are true. Finally, he's opening up about it. Kind of new. My only thing is... In this article, this GQ cover story, which I actually read, um, it just really talks about a lot of the disconnects that his marriage and Jada and him had. And it's really interesting because I also felt like I started to think, when is kind of enough enough when you just, it's like y'all are working so hard to keep it going. But when do you, when's the time where you realize, well, maybe it's just not working for us. Yeah, maybe this just doesn't fit. Yeah. If we have different expectations of what we want. Like, it worked at a certain point. We had beautiful kids, great family. Yeah. I mean, I feel like their lives are so wrapped up, and they obviously love each other and care for each other. So they obviously don't feel like it's worth ending. Well, that. I don't think it ever has to end, but I, I'm i interested in, in, instead of going through all of this, the hurdles and the, you know, once you do it and you put in the work for so long, it, it starts to feel like, yeah, maybe we're fitting a, you know, round peg into a square hole. Maybe. Doesn't work. So, yeah, that's your tea report Let us know what your thoughts are at LGT hmm. Show. And, of course, I got more coming up next hour. Well, next up, what to do when a friend's insecurity is ruining your vibe. I think we've all been there. So we're going to get into it next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. It's normal to be insecure and doubt yourself, but when does it become too much where it's not just ruining your vibe, but the vibe for those around you? Dr. Andrea Bonier is with us right now, a licensed clinical psychologist, 
and the author of Detox Your Thoughts. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, So I love this topic because there's a fine line, right? I think that we all could have those moments, but then there's those times that we can unpack there and it could be very detrimental to ourselves and those around us. That's exactly right. I think it's really easy to fall into a pattern with our friends where we just, you know, let it all hang out all the time as insecurities, as negativity and as competitiveness and jealousy and bad vibes. And I think it's hard for people to speak up at times because they feel guilty. They say, I'm a friend. I should be able to listen to whatever the person is bringing to the table but then they find themselves being affected by it and they feel like they're not feeling good after the conversation. So I think sometimes it's really important to speak up even when it's uncomfortable to do so. Yeah. And I also think what a person is complaining about are they're insecure about there's, there should be like nuance and context added to it. Right. Because oftentimes Mm -hmm. it can just be like that person just sounds completely tone deaf and needs like a reality check. And so it's like, how do you even bring that up to a person who's already in that mindset where you're like, I need you to kind of like check yourself because you're not realizing the harm that you're doing to yourself, but also to, to me. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's hard to bring up, but I think it's important just to start with respect. Right. So to take a tone, where you're not sort of jumping on them right in the moment, but you're picking maybe a quiet time and you're thinking compassionately and empathetically how to talk to them. And, you know, in couples therapy, they always do something called I statements and they've become such a cliche, but I think they're really helpful because what they do is they allow you to talk about your reactions and your feelings without putting the other person on the defensive. So for instance, you could say something like, you know, I've noticed this pattern that we get into, you know, a lot of times it makes me feel really negative when I hear so much talk about other people and what they have and how you don't have that. And it just makes me uncomfortable. I don't feel like I'm in a good place right now when we get into this pattern talking. And I wondered if, you know, if we could talk about it a little bit more because I don't think it's helpful for me. Or sometimes it's a matter of encouraging them to get further help. You know, like I've noticed that You complain about your work a lot and and worried about your performance or worried about what your boss is going to think. And I feel like I'm not helping you so much because we go around in circles. And, you know, I I feel bad that I can't be more helpful. But do you think you need something more? And that's kind of a nice segue into, you know, hey, maybe I can't offer you a solution here. And you could use some professional support. Definitely. What are the signs that you're dealing with, like a difficult, insecure person, like an insecure bully, as you put it? A lot of the times it's patterns that really last over time. So, for instance, you know, you notice that it's not just, oh, they're having a bad week or they're occasionally saying things or they're not their best self. But over and over again, you feel like you end these outings with, you know, you're feeling drained or you're feeling like you turn passive aggressive or competitive or jealous in ways that you don't often think of yourself as you notice that you're different with this person than other people you notice that maybe you're more petty and they're bringing out sort of a you know an aggressiveness in you that you don't really like because I think sometimes that's how we notice things first it's like ew I said that I don't normally let that stuff get to me and yet I'm starting to get into this bad pattern so really being aware of how you feel after outings what kind of ways you behave you know that's what's really important And when do you know when it's time to just end the friendship? 
Yeah, you know, I think when they're really long-standing patterns that don't seem to be getting better, you've given feedback, you've given empathy, it doesn't seem to be, you know, just to say, because of course, our friends can go through terrible times and become terrible friends, and I think we owe it to sort of stick through. But I think other times it's just not a great match or the friend has kind of permanently moved in a direction that's not good. And in that case, we do have to protect ourselves. You know, it's hard with friendships because basically it's like, oh, I can still keep them as a friend. You know, it's not like romantic relationships where you have to decide, huh, do I want to see someone else and and break up, right? We tend to hoard friendships because we feel bad ending them. But when it's best for our mental health, it's really important that we do so. What if you are listening and you're like, oh, I think I'm that person. I do that. What are you supposed to do? Yeah, you can be, it takes a lot of vulnerability and courage, but you can be honest with a friend, you know, choose a friend you trust and say, you know, I I was listening to some stuff and I really kind of heard myself in there. And it made me wonder if sometimes I come across as really negative or jealous or competitive or insecure or whatever, when, when I, when we talk and, you know, I know it's hard to talk about, but I feel like it could be useful if you're honest with me. And, you know, do you think that's something that sometimes goes on? I, I promise that, you know, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to jump on you. If you say it, I'm trying to work on things here and start it off that way. And, you know, whether they say it or not, I think it's important to start observing yourself so that even if they're not honest with you, you can try to see those patterns in yourself. Yes. Yeah. Work on yourself. No one's going to do the work for you. That was <laughs> Dr. Andrea Bonier, who's a licensed clinical psychologist, author of Detox Your Thoughts. Check out the book out right now. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll be back with more of Let's Go There right after this. Don't go anywhere. Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We typically celebrate things like birthdays, baby showers, anniversaries, but it seems like there's this new trend of folks celebrating other things like... A year of being in an apartment, or a friend anniversary, which I'm coming up on a, my year. Okay, in there November. you go. Or maybe you stopped smoking and you have a, a non-smoke anniversary, <laughs> something like that. Or even for sobriety, a lot of people celebrate that. So these are these unconventional milestones that also deserve a celebration, or do they? Is there too much celebration happening? Is that? I, I don't think so. I mean, I'm I'm down for a celebration every single day. I'll, I'll find a way to celebrate anything. I'm down for celebration, too. I think it's important, especially when there are big milestones in your life or things that feel important to you. I think it's always top, uh, important to remember those things um, and reflect on that time. Because I'm, like, moving into my first apartment, um, and it took me, like, what, six years of me being here to, like, have my own apartment? feels very special. I sometimes even sit in my in my apartment and on my couch and just like look around being like, wow, I like I'm I've been able to furnish this by myself. I've been able to, you know, pay rent, pay my bills by myself like that. That feels really big, especially coming from like a a small town and never thinking that the amount that I pay for rent, I would be ever able to afford it. And so I don't know. It's um, it feels special. It feels like something I'll never, I'll never forget. I don't ever want to forget. Well, so how are you going to celebrate it? Or you just remind yourself every day. You're not going to have like a zoom party. I don't want anyone over my house. <laughs> so- <laughs> celebrate it by not having any dirty people in your home. Yeah, I don't know. You know, maybe I'll give me a nice little dinner or something and 
And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't even thought about how I will celebrate. I just know my year is coming up and and I'll probably, I, I'm constantly reflecting. I will say that I'm constantly reflecting. Like sometimes I'll just literally just be on my couch just being like, this is really my apartment. That's even though, beautiful. You know, it's Good just for you. You know what's coming up? What anniversary is coming up? What? Channel Q. Oh, I knew that. I actually said that earlier. Thank you for reminding all of us. Yes, no, you did. I wasn't saying that. I wasn't oh, saying yeah, thank yeah, but, you. But yeah, I, you I reminded remind, me yeah, when you said it. And so how are we going to celebrate? By quitting? <laughs> holding, <laughs> holding a strike? <laughs> no, I just quit. Actually, I hope we do something big. It's been three years us on the air, and half of our, our time being on air was through a pandemic. And I mean, it still is, but we went through a whole thing and we survived. Like, there's a lot... That we, it's like a phoenix coming out of the ashes. It, it is crazy to think three years because it feels like... 70. It feels like it's been a long time, but also not so long. It's a weird I mix. know. We're completely different people from when we first started this show oh, yeah. until now. And so... We are. Oh, I'm Yeah, sure. it's just... It, it, it feels... It feels... Um, it feels like, yeah, where would our lives have been without this place? I mean, I think we got to go back to the Abbey where it all started. Oh, God. And get roofied? Okay, maybe too soon. Get really drunk <laughs> safely, <laughs> and invite all I of swear you I to love join us. I was just there this weekend. I was at the chapel. Me oh, and my you were? Yeah, actually, I have a crazy story. Um, that who I was there with. I was there with Zendaya, stylist Law what? Roach. It was disgusting. It was an awful experience. Oh, awful. Yeah, because, you know, like, when you're with famous people and you just want to, like, go out to the club and dance a little bit, it ends up being a scene. Like, you know? So, how are they famous? Like, she's famous. Law Roach is, like, a super famous. Because And he's one of the judges on Legendary. uh, Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, like, he's a a pretty famous guy. So, you think everyone was around and trying to take pictures or, like, selfies and all that? Yeah, and, like, you know, people don't want to stand in lines, which I don't like standing in lines either. No shade. But, like, you know, and then, like, you know, there's a whole system that I found out about how you can pay the bouncers to get in. Yeah, you didn't know this? No, girl, you know I don't go out. And then when you go in, you got to stand around and just, like, look. And I'm just like... No, I want to twerk. Hashtag boring. Yeah, you know. But, you know, I had a fun time. The drinks were flowing, so. As long as they were flowing and free, that's yeah. all that counts. So I'm going to celebrate that a year from now. Be like the crappy situations I get myself into. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great way to turn it around. Let us know what you're celebrating at LGT Show. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yeah. Yes, Queen. So playwright Matthew Lopez made history last night by becoming the first Latino to win at the Tony Awards for Best Play. Wait, what? Yeah, this is uh, huge. That's actually so embarrassing. That is awful. The Tonys have been around forever, and these mm-hmm. first... And he's also part of the communities, so... It's like these first are always like a good thing, but they're yeah. also like a crappy thing. Totally. Lopez paid tribute to three queer men who inspired him to write his Broadway play, The Inheritance. And here's a part of his speech. 74th Tony Awards. And yet I am only the first Latin writer to win in this category. I say that not to elicit your applause, but to highlight the fact that the Latin community is underrepresented in American theater in New York theater, and most especially on Broadway, we constitute 19% of the United States population, and we represent about 2% of 
of the playwrights having plays on Broadway in the last decade. This must change. So congrats again. Those powerful words from playwright Matthew Lopez at the Tony Awards. Oh, and he used the word in his speech. He used the word Latin. Latine. What we talked about. We talked about Latine. Yes, yeah, exactly. And if you want to hear more about that. about that, yeah, go to our podcast. Let's go there on the Odyssey app. Yeah, get it together. The academies of all academies. Stop creating these first moments. We should be past that. It's 2021. I'm happy this person is the first because clearly they deserved. Well, I'm also um, happy like, that the people who funded what? this, right? Because they all these plays have investors, right? That there's finally the investors out there who could fund these types of ideas as well. I have thoughts about that, but uh-huh. And I actually know some of them. I knew some of the executive producers of this who uh, got a Tony. Randy Zuckerberg was one of them. My friend Eric Kuhn. And there was one more person. Is that person. why you, th- you just said that? Just such shout out to I'm friends. shout out to those people. Mazel tov. Sounds like she just said that. So she could shout <laughs> Who are out also, friends. you know, Eric's part of the community. Anyway, a big night for the Tonys. And that does it for our Yasmin of the day. Yes, queen. Hey, I'll give credit where credit's due, Ryan. You should. You should. And that does it for our show today. But we are back tomorrow weekdays here on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern Live. On tomorrow's show, we're going to talk about unvaccinated folks at work. Should people get fired or is that too extreme? Plus the power of the talk and why we shouldn't police trans bodies. That and more on tomorrow's show. Again, if you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Let's go there on the Odyssey app. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Now stick around for Loveline with Dr. Chris, who's covering long distance relationships, how to make it work. That's next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.